0: Basketball Doctors podcast. My name is Marco Lopez. I am a doctor of physical therapy and certified strength conditioning coach. My name is Gabe Ignacio. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Our goal is to empower our listeners with evidence-based information of all things basketball. That includes injuries, recovery, rehab, nutrition, sports performance, and training. We will be interviewing key influencers to help you become a more well-rounded athlete at any skill level now we have one question for you
1: are, are you, you ready, ready to ball for, for life
0: let's get it hey what's up everyone it's marco from the basketball doctors today i'll be your host for the episode that's going to include a lot of things regarding speed have you ever thought about how to train for speed how to get faster in the court so today's the episode for that today we have adam menner from new jersey you probably have heard of him from the creator of varsity hoops this guy's is the go-to for any basketball speed performance. So, Adam, tell us a little about yourself. Thanks for coming out on the show.
1: Yeah, no, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, we connected over social media, which was pretty cool. You know, it's funny to say that, but I think doing stuff like this has really allowed us to build a little bit of a relationship. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. So, yep, like he said, I'm, uh, I'm located in New Jersey. I'm the director of performance for a bigger facility called Varsity House Gym, but I am, uh, created my own company kind of underneath that as well. So that is consisting of Varsity Hoops. And we train anybody from youth all the way up to pro and NBA athletes, which is pretty cool. So we have a big sample size of kind of what works and what doesn't. And you know, my goal is just to make sure that every single kid is healthy, feels good, but ultimately performs well and, and can become the fastest that they can.
0: Perfect. So what started Varsity Hoops and like what sparked your interest in basketball?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I played my whole life. I literally have been playing since I was in third grade, which is kind of crazy, you know, how fast time goes. But uh, so I did that. And then I grew up in the Midwest, which is a little different. So I grew up in Chicago. I moved to Indiana and then I played at a really competitive high school. I don't know if anybody's heard of Carmel High School in Indiana. So like the Mecca of basketball, if you will. And there is where I really got exposed just to like what it truly takes to make it to the next level. There were six other D1 guys on my team going everywhere from like IU, Michigan, Purdue. So it was pretty wild just to, I was a freshman and just to level up myself there. And then just the work ethic behind it. And then, you know, obviously I realized I'm not going to make it as far as some of these other kids. I could maybe play a little low D1 ball, but nothing special. So I got hurt. And then that is where I really began to understand you know how can i help other athletes you know push their genetic maximum and kind of reach their full potential
0: yeah it's it's funny that you mentioned you know you got her and then started getting back into the field i feel like all basketball players myself and everyone else they want to just stay in the basketball realm and find ways to kind of stay in that community And it's great that you kind of did that i know you mentioned uh genetic potential and health so can you kind of elaborate a little bit more to me regarding like How and what's the difference between athletic, you know, general health, you know, athlete health and like actual performance? Does it coincide with each other or are they different?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, when I think of those two words together, I think most coaches take a traditional strength conditioning approach where they think that because the athlete is lifting, because they're getting stronger, because we're working on their mobility, their speed, their power, their nutrition, that they're going to be healthy. Although true, it's not necessarily or it doesn't paint the entire picture, right? And so I, time, I kind of take a global approach, if you will, and I am by no means, right, a neurologist. I've said that multiple times, but I like to read a lot about the brain and I've took, I've taken some courses and I'm thinking about going back and either doing a PhD or getting a master's there just because that truly is everything, right? So let's answer the question in terms of health and what that means. And when I say that, I think about you know, where we came from as people and what our bodies are naturally designed to do. And what does that mean? Well, we're naturally designed to be aerobically fit, mobile, and own certain positions. And when you train for athletics, I always use this analogy, or any sport in general, right? Have you ever met a strong man who said, I've never had an injury? You know, or have I have ever met a bodybuilder who's dieted down all the way to 2%, not literally, probably like four to six. And they're like, yeah, I felt great. All my hormone levels were stable, <laughs> right? Or even athletes at the highest level. I mean, LeBron James is an anomaly, but you can either see Father Time's undefeated and he's starting to see the wear and tear of that. Are those things healthy to the systemic body of a human? And I would argue, no, they're not. Certain qualities are, if you have a new athlete coming in and that new athlete, needs to get stronger, well, that's going to add to his longevity and that's going to add to his health, but to a certain degree. And so when you try to find the balance between the two, that is optimally where you're going to hit that genetic potential that I believe and And that can come from a whole host of different things as well. But I think that's just kind of the concise answer there, you know, in terms of, is this athlete healthy? Do they meet these basic requirements? Or are we pushing too far to try to strive for performance and we're just taking away from what maybe that athlete's just genetically good at or how that athlete operates at their most healthy, if that makes sense?
0: No, that makes sense. I mean, I think there's a huge difference between both, you know, you're comparing a bodybuilder with a basketball player, different physiques, and you're kind of training for more for performance as opposed to physique-wise, you know?
1: And here's actually, a cool, here's actually something cool, right, that you could do, which is interesting. If you if you don't have a lot of people that have never been around NBA players, so I've been pretty fortunate. I've seen a handful of NBA players. I work with just a few, not too big of names, but I traveled to work with a few who are really big names. Mm-hmm. And if you ever – let's say they took their shirt off, right, which they all love to do, and they're just working out with their shirts off. If you were to look at the body of like a James Harden or like a Kyrie Irving, you would literally be like, that dude has a dad body. <laughs> but if you were to look at this super fit CrossFit athlete, right, and he takes his shirt off, everybody's like, dear God, you know what I mean? He looks like a Greek yeah. God over here. He must be like super healthy and in great shape. But if you don't understand what the body was naturally designed to do stemming back from, you know, we talked about it off camera, but ancestries all the way down in terms of being aerobically fit, Uh, life was active back then. A lot of the pain and the problems that we see now are a byproduct of man-made interventions, such as sitting at a desk, such as being at a cell phone, such as being hunched, you know, hunched over all the time and poor posture. So. When you look at those guys, you would say, nope, Crossford, he looks really good, to the untrained eye. However, the thing that separates James Harden and all these other guys is, one, their genetics, so you can just rule that out entirely, right? But these guys are phenomenal, and even if you stem all the way down, so like down to some of the youth athletes that I have that I walk into the door, these guys are just phenomenal at owning certain positions and the way in which they move, how they breathe. They get into, you know, they engage their adductors, their abs, their hamstrings, their glutes all the time. Never watch Kyrie Irving or James Harden. Literally, right, a Euro step is so much breaking force into, right, changing a planes of motion, which are insane. But if they were to get into the weight room, they don't even, and I've seen this, not that but we can't even dumbbell bench 50 pounds for 10 reps. Man. where the CrossFitter might say, I could do 120 for 10 reps. Yeah. So it's this fine line, right, in between a little bit that you're looking at when you look at, is this athlete healthy? Meaning, can he move the absolute best and own all his positions and reach his athletic peak? Or am I going to drive him into the ground because they have a certain goal, right? And that could be strength, power, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's, that's huge, man. That's huge for people to kind of just understand the difference between, you know, like performance and actual Health, like you mentioned, and all I know right. you mentioned a lot about genetic athletes, you know, potential. So, what's the, you know, what are your tips regarding, or what's your, you know, training philosophy re- regarding speed training? Because there's some people that are just naturally fast; they already come to you, and they're these guys are fast. And how about there's some other people that just come in, but you can get them fast, give them some technique, you know. And others that are not fast at all need to kind of train; they have to work a little bit harder to get that. So let's just kind of dive into that topic. Yeah. So when
1: I think about genetic potential, I think about what is the one component or what is the one physical quality where I could get an athlete to possibly reach their genetic potential and it's speed and speed is here's why, you know, and this is just based off of, this isn't just like me proclaiming this. This is just based off a lot of the work of Charlie Francis, um, Derek Hansen, Hunter Turninski, who's become a friend of mine, and he's great. And guys who have really seen and trained athletes at the highest level, but I've now been able to train a lot of athletes at the highest level and even at the youth level regarding this. But when you look at speed, you know, sprinting, in my opinion, is the hierarchy of athletic development because it is the only exercise, the sprint alone, once you get past 15 to 20 meters, kind of that sweet spot or a little bit further, is where you utilize – hundred percent of one's body's motor units so every single muscle in the entire body is firing the nervous system is completely aroused and heightened and everything from there and we'll talk about you know a little bit about the speed reserve but everything all the other physical qualities that you're looking to train happen as a residual byproduct of reaching an athlete's maximum top speed so like deadlifting a 700 pound deadlift doesn't even come close to the amount of force that one strikes the ground with when they sprint, right? No matter the athlete's experience, once they reach 20 to 25 meters, they're generating about five to six times their own body weight per stride. So, right, they're at that top speed, one, two, let's say that's six per stride, right? That could literally be whatever times, let's say the person weighs 200 pounds. So six times 200, right? Right there's 1,200 plus two because each side that's 2,400 tons of force with each stride. So that is where you're saying, well, okay, little Johnny here, I want to help him get, you know, reach his genetic potential. Most people would say, all right, let's go right to the weight room. That's a key component. But if I'm trying to get the biggest bang for my buck and I'm trying to push his genetic potential. I'm going to focus more on speed. And once I focus more on speed, I'll use those other tools to help supplement the main goal, which is speed, right? Which is speed. So.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. Like the whole specificity principle, you know, in order to train for speed, you got to train, you know, of course, what, what do you do? What are some of the, can you kind of give us some speed, you know, training drills, you know, for some of the young athletes that are listening right now, or even some of the coaches, like what's, you know, you mentioned weight room, you kind of have to do a little bit of both, but like you said, if you have the most bang for your buck is directly speed training, that's going to be very specific towards the task. What are some of the drills that you go with your athletes and kind of um, introduce with them, you know, even just starting, like, uh, I know we mentioned this off air, but just even starting in the beginning, like how do you even kind of go approach that? You know, you can't just have them go run (laughs) 40 yard sprints. Uh, yeah I
1: mean I think there's a there's a lot of um you know there's a lot of misbeliefs in terms of just speed training like what does that actually entail and like do I just have an athlete go and run and and what have you but there's a lot more to it you know and I think it stems from before I would even prescribe a drill or an exercise I think understanding the the mental not the mentality the overarching plan and picture of how to build a speed program out and then you guys can go wild with whatever exercises you feel are best or where they fit so pretty simply in essence everything that you do regarding speed training is going to come down right and that is how much time does an athlete spend on the ground through the sprint and in a sprint there's three separate phases right you have phase one your acceleration accumulation that's just you're accelerating phase two, which is where they start to get upright, 15 to 30 meters, 40 meters maybe. That is their power intensification. And then their last phase is what's called absolute speed realization. And that's where athletes are running like 60, 70, 80, or even 100-meter sprints. And you're moving at like – I mean, if you've ever – I don't even recommend this, but like for myself, if I train, or even my pro athletes, I don't have them do this. But if you ever run a true 100-meter sprint, I mean, it is insane. Like the brain is going, right? Nothing in the body will ever utilize, like I said, that amount of motor units. So those are your three phases. In your acceleration phase is your longest ground contact time. In your second phase is a little bit shorter. Your third is your least, right? Because you just look at projection, you know, that in terms of where the body, or where the, um, I'm like losing my words here, where the athlete's torso is in relation to the ground. So they start to come here. So their strides, And their knee flexion will be the highest so they spend the most time on the ground and that is kind of strength building if you will right because you're developing a lot of force just given the nature of position as it relates to the ground now as you get more upright there's more eccentric loading on the hamstring and now the heel has to come right underneath the frame and then that's going to propel you to stay upright this is where posture is important a lot of arm drive but you have shorter ground contact time because less touches and then as you move further a little bit this is where you're literally barely on the ground and you see, you know, the expression we like to use is almost like floating, right? You watch like Usain Bolt and Ben Johnson, once they're reaching that hundred meters, they're so powerful, it's very short ground contact time. So you understand that. Now, when you look at, okay, so how can we create a plan accordingly? In the acceleration phase, now we'll talk about all the drills and the tools. So I always open up with some type of speed work. So that could be any type of posture, Um, pattern or push drills where you're just getting the athlete to understand how to move their body in time and space and how to develop force. So a lot of acceleration work, a lot of single leg based jumps as the supplemental to the speed. You're keeping your distances shorter. And then your strength work, you could use fuller ranges of motion where you're spending more time on the ground, right? Or you're spending more time lifting weight. As As you transition into that next phase, what you want to do is, again, follow the ground contact time. So now my jumps are going to be more reactive and base because it's shorter ground contact time. My movements in the weight room are going to be shorter ranges of motion due to the less knee flexion. And I'm going to work on more power output, so the speed of the bar has got to be a little bit quicker. And then as I transition a little bit, I'm getting extremely specific, as you mentioned, the said principle. And I'm doing super reactive based jumps, such as like a depth jump or even a band assisted jump where I'm spending minimal, minimal time on the ground, more so than I could replicate on my own. And then the weight room stuff, you want to cut out a lot, except for maybe your main stuff here, right? In terms of just like, maybe you do a super high hex bar lift where it's like a small hinge with very limited ranges of motion. And then therefore everything aligns perfectly. And then you can kind of maximize that athlete's sprinting ability. And then, um, obviously all the little drills have fallen in there, that could be a whole separate thing, but you guys can kind of fill it in with, with that template if you will.
0: No, that's, that's perfect, man. That's a nice little program. And I love the whole breakdown of the whole sprinting, you know, cause some people are like, Oh, stay low, stay low. You can only to stay low for so much and I'll just fall forward, you know, right. you come up. Right. Um, what are some of the things that you used uh, to help, athletes, you know, get that first step or you know, the quick acceleration. Cause you know, in basketball, we're not running that far, you know. No. But I know we mentioned this off air as well. You know, the faster you are, the faster your relative, you know, you mentioned your faster your relative speed. So you're still training for that, you know, whole hundred meter to improve your overall speed. But uh what are kind of uh drills or you know tips you give athletes that want to get faster in that quick, you know, four or five steps, you know? that acceleration
1: yeah so one thing though I I always like to say this with athletes no matter who they are even if like LeBron James walks in the door is you always make sure you um, get the athletes to adhere to the rules before you can break them so never in a game where they line up on a line they're going to be in a two-point and they're going to be like wait everybody I have to get the perfect position before I sprint (laughs) out right and, and get going here so we'll spend a couple weeks or even a month in that acceleration phase just working on, on technique to have proper posture patterns therefore they understand how to move their body time and space once they get acclimated to that it gets it becomes a little bit more fun because in the team sports setting like you just mentioned there can be a whole host of different scenarios that the athlete has to present or is present to the athlete so one of my favorite acceleration drills is actually called a negative step and a negative step is where the athlete looks down at the ground they're in an athletic position where both feet are underneath their frame as if they're about to perform a vertical jump. When they're doing that, I'm going to give them the stimulus. So I might say here, I might say go, I might say ball, I might say get back. That is just the trigger point for them to get out and get going, right, in terms of their sprint. But a negative step is generally what you see in a game. Not always, but I would say 50% of the time. A negative step is, so if you were to imagine in your brain is when an athlete comes across the wing, right? Let's say they're coming down from a down screen or they just get a rebound and they gather themselves one, two, or on the hop. That little step that they take behind their body to generate force before they step forward is a negative step. So like if they're here, right? They catch the ball, they step back and then they take off as fast as they can. You see that with an athlete when they rip through to the baseline. You see that with an athlete if they're dribbling and they come off a ball screen. They plant that back leg to give themselves more push to slip the screen or get past the screen. So I give them that stimulus, but they have to use that negative step to get out. And then they'll sprint their 10, 15 yards or what have you. So that's a great drill just in terms of. It's not mimicking sport, right? Cause you can never really mimic sport, but yeah. you're actually using the brain. Talk about using the brain. Cause you're giving them a stimulus to write, to plan and to go a little bit. So there's that. And then I'd also like to do a lot of weighted split stance work or weighted jumps. So like, you'll be on a box. Let's say you have a box in front of you. Make sure it's not a wooden box, like a softer <laughs> box, right? You've seen that. That's the yeah. It's, <laughs> and you're holding onto a pair of dumbbells, but you're in a split stance position as if you're gonna take off from the line. You're gonna do a, just a regular jump. So like I have, but I don't use my arms. I just bend down, jump up onto the box here. You could do a couple sets of one to two reps right and left. That's also good to develop just starting position and power and isometric strength out, out of the bottom, right? Cause that's just power and strength, if you will in itself, right? You could say lifting is too, but I don't know if you have like a high school kid who has 50 to 80 pounds in each hand and he's split jumping onto a 24 inch box, he's probably strong too. Yeah. So you have the strength component there. And then I like to do a lot of like med ball throw work into a wall though. So like they have the med ball they're in that athletic stance, they have to extend, right? And then throw the med ball into the wall here and stuff like that not too much triple extension work. This is kind of a tangent, but um, you never really truly see true, true triple extension in sport, right? You always see athletes like squat run or their pelvis is tilted a little bit forward just so they can get that knee flexion in back. So like whenever you see athletes and you're like, get your hips all the way through. It's like, maybe, but I'd rather just see more velocity with their throws and with their body than I would actually reaching that, that true triple extension.
0: Yeah, uh, no, that's good. That's good. I like the whole, uh, uh, ex- reacting to that external stimuli, meaning like, you know, when you kinda of tell them to go, they have to go. Cause I think that's one thing we don't really do as much. But you know, we have to kind of get back doing it. Even especially after people that come back from injury, they, you know, they'll do well at pre-planned situations. But the yeah. whole thing of sport is reacting. So I really like that. It. Yeah, it's chaotic. And I think I like how, you know, you have to actually, you know, turn the brain on and really focus like, hey, I'm not gonna be having this pre-planned movement. I'm gonna react. To this and see how their uh mechanics are in that situation everything um another one last thing i want to ask you regarding speed training what would you say in regards to i know some athletes are like you know do you know when i'm training for speed should i include that in the beginning of my workout or the end of my workout in between my workout you know what do you what do you recommend for those athletes that you know like some of them like hey I'm gonna finish it up with a bunch of speed drills, and others want to be like hey I want to you know it's pretty taxing some of the coaches have them let's have you do the speed work first and then go into the weight room. What do you recommend or do you do it, you know be after basketball practice or before you know what's your in regards to programming when do you program actual speed training within the workout?
1: Yeah, so I, again knowing that it is required 100- hundred motor units putting it at the beginning is generally optimal just because they're going to feel their best after they do the warm-up right so you put into whatever warm-up series you go through dynamic warm-ups you get a skips b skips just some jumps and marches and stuff like that and then you slowly progress into it and then i would lead with your sprints and then if you were to do like an exercise section or exercise template for a day you open up with your speed training so keep the volume relatively low six to eight sets of you know 10 to 15 meters then you do your jumps after your speed a lot of people do jumps by themselves which is fine but again if you're trying to maximize your genetic potential you would probably opt for speed and then you would go your jumps after then you do your strength work and then you can do all of your accessory work so you could do any of your rehabilitation work there any of your specific mobility work any of your weak point training and then i like to usually just finish with some type of aerobic work from there so yeah
0: Perfect, man. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, so we're kind of ending up on time here. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but tell us a fun fact about yourself, Adam. Fun
1: fact about myself. I think I'm just going to go with what I said off camera. You know, I don't know if I'll, I'll bring it to the camera, but um, <laughs> I wanted to be a director and a screenplay writer. So that was something that was kind of totally different. I love to write, I love uh, creativity and making videos. And it's cool that I could do that now here in this field, but yeah, maybe if I had a second career, it would be in that. <laughs> yeah.
0: That'd be, that'd be kind of cool. Make, you know, be able to dominate like the content aspect of everything. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be cool. Um, we'll see. So tell us a little bit about, just to end it, tell us a little bit about about your business, how they can find you, you know, your information, your, your email, website, social media handles, tell us, you know, everything about, the businesses that you run and how they could reach you and kind of contact you regarding consultations and everything.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so you, my Instagram is usually where I'm the most on um, that. You can just find me at Adam Menor. It's just all one word, lowercase a D a M M E N N E R. My website is called varsity V A R S I T Y hoops. H O O P S training.com. Um, it's actually under revision because what we're going to start creating is what's called the VH Strength Entrepreneur Club. And that is basically just a huge educational platform where all of my basketball courses, we're going to have courses. We're going to have live videos. We're going to have articles. We're going to have reviews A coaches, Slack board, and then you'll have access to our entire team. And basically it's just a very inexpensive way to help young coaches build careers in the private sector industry. So not only are we going to be talking about training, but there's a lot of career and business development because we've been very fortunate to build a super successful private sector sports performance gym. And we want to give back to a lot of young coaches who I know want to get into the industry at a very low barrier cost. So that will be released and that will be on the website.
0: Perfect. We will include all of his information in the media notes. And you could also find his information in our Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook with the handle at basketball docs and our website, uh, www.thebasketballdoctors.com, or email us for his information at thebasketballdoctors at gmail. But thank you again, Adam, for coming on. And thank you guys for listening and following us. We hope you learned something from our discussion today. and use this knowledge to kind of gain some more speedos of your fellow competition. We love to continue bringing information regarding all things basketball to a mass audience. So please rate us, subscribe us, comment, and tell your friends. That's ball for life. Thanks Adam for coming on the show, man.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much.